Howdy, y'all! Welcome into South of Scruffy Podcast. I'm Ben Fields. This is my podcast. Before we get started, I want to give a very special thank you to Blank News and Rusty Odom and his team over there. If you look at the inside cover of the most recent Blank Newspaper, you will see that uh, this edition of Blank Newspaper was compiled while listening to an episode of South of Scruffy. And they put our album artwork in there. It was really sweet of them to do. We didn't ask them to do it. It's just something they did. And they're good people over there. So pick up a blank newspaper anywhere you go and support them and support their sponsors too because they're an awesome outfit that's doing really great things. So this podcast, today's podcast, I got to interview uh, Andy Vinson. I've been wanting to interview Andy Vinson for a long time and it happened. I'm very glad that it did. Andy is the creative director of festivals at Lock and Key. So the guy gets to film music festivals for a living. He films other stuff. He's very talented in many different arenas of filmmaking and storytelling. Uh, But you guys get to hear him kind of give a firsthand account of what it's like to get to set a visual voice uh, for the brand of a music festival, which is really neat. That was great to hear and to dig into with him. We got to talk about all kinds of other stuff. But uh, I hope you guys enjoy it. This is my chat with my friend, Andy Vinson. We're doing the podcast. How was uh, how was your trip to Bonnaroo? Trip was good. <laughs> your shit, you guys took like forty two people. It was good. We took forty two people, which was <laughs> crazy. Um, I mean, our biggest crew in the past was like thirty five, but it was like twenty five working, and all ten that were not working were definitely helping quite a bit but right. they, but we were also kind of like you know go see the shows at night go do your thing um we get some kind of plus ones basically this time it was 42 people working like 16 hour days it was crazy it was long days long i mean it, that's a given for anybody that's like doing the marketing side of it but um i figured i mean it's 16 hours if you're just going to the festival so yeah. you want to cover that experience right? right it's kind of like overtime isn't a thing because you're just going to be up anyway so why not be up with a camera yeah for for to a large extent. So the big thing is that we break it down into like there was a solid twenty people that were on the live stream crew that were producing real time stuff for Hulu, um, and then there was uh, about twelve or thirteen people dedicated full time to sponsorship, which we did. I think sixteen different sponsor clients this year. Um, so we're making videos for Corona, Bacardi, M and M's, uh, Allegiant, Toyota. Couple I don't even remember because that's, that's not really my thing. And then I'm kind of. I'm loosely creatively overseeing all of that, but I'm more in charge of the marketing side, which after all that shook out, turned out to be like four people. <laughs> so at the it, end of the day- Four people that were in charge of the marketing stuff? Of just you. general coverage of marketing. So we, we had a we had a three-person social media crew, Eddie Resendez, Nikki Alfieri, were both doing the brunt of that. And then we had some of our social media employees that I can key helping facilitate with C3s marketing social media team and, and then c3 is the kind of the the body that's putting the whole thing on right yeah more or less so c3 presents i believe is the full title i should know because who's the guy that owns that you know uh that? there's three charlies there's like a charlie i know i couldn't quote there, it because charlie walker's one of them and then there's two others that i don't know um it, there's three charlies and yeah, that's the where they got c3, that's c3. From. they couldn't be charlie three yeah, could they but i need to figure it out my uh my girlfriend actually just started working for him so well, what's uh what was the whole like scope of what you guys did at bonnaroo because i know sam was there doing uh, part of the Hulu stream and yeah. there were some other pockets. I mean, you said the marketing content, but what was like the whole suite of stuff? Because you guys had a hell of a lot of people out there doing well, a bunch yeah. of work. Yeah. I mean, that was, 
the scope is almost hard to pin down because it ended up being so like spider webby. But um, like I said, we had a, quite a quite a few people on the live stream, quite a few people on sponsor, and then weirdly that leaves me, Felu, who you've had on the show, and yeah. and Charlie Colombo, one of our dear buds and coworkers. It's a weird way to say coworker, but uh, <laughs> the three of us were kind of spearheading the general content capture. So Bonnaroo is so big that you've got a couple different companies. Mainly there's a lock and key, and then there's a company called Human Being Media, which is a, primarily a guy that organizes a bunch of really awesome shooters from across the country to come in and work basically on daily recaps. So they mm. typically are doing one like 45 second, here's the whole day, or at least like a really nice thematic um, representation of Bonnaroo. And then on site, we actually had a pretty small scope compared to what we normally do because we were doing two social reels a day, um, 15 second snippets that you know, maybe hit on a certain, like the wheel or the arch or a different plaza. Some of them are just music hype to try to get the word out. Um, especially this year, we were really trying to hit the FOMO really hard. Yeah. I was going to say, get, get people that aren't there, there next year. Right? Yes. That was a big push on this year. Um, and then that basically leaves me and Felu and Charlie and then whoever could help when they weren't doing sponsor or marketing things to cover just what everything we could just basically run around with the camera and find beautiful moments of Bonnaroo. Yeah. Um, and then I will work to turn a lot of that into as much content as possible. So is it going to be in use all year, the stuff that you guys shot? It's not just for the live stream while you're there. It's not no. just the the FOMO reels to get out. It's also stuff that is going to be used, social media channels and other kind of marketing stuff throughout the whole year. Yeah, I mean, we try to proliferate and use it as much as we possibly can. Why so not? like, there's plenty of stuff on the web. There's plenty of even like the camping page on the website gets it gets a couple of videos that are dedicated to different camping aspects and <laughs> the food gets its own video um and then a lot of it is just finding ways to basically build a couple touchstone pieces a couple 45 second minute long pieces um that usually are targeted at a specific part of Bonnaroo but then we break that down into 15 seconds and into TikToks and into general email blasts and YouTube ads and all kinds of stuff. I heard that the the chicks were a big uh, draw this year, but what was the best show you saw? The chicks. Are you serious? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually put them on Instagram. I was like, and I'm a big fan. Uh, my, my best friend got me into him a long time ago. And we actually went, I think for his 27th or 28th birthday, we all went to Charlotte to go see the chicks. So big fan already, but their show was unbelievable. Really? Yeah, I'm a big fan. I mean, I'm just like, I know. goodbye Earl, like all that stuff from... Yeah. From when I was in high school, but you and start all that. naming them off. You got wide open spaces, yeah. cowboy take me away, traveling soldier. Everything off the new album was actually pretty solid too. Really, uh, the gaslighter and um, I was just shocked that everybody said that that was their favorite show. That was your favorite show. That was probably my favorite show. I mean, that was that was my favorite from a sentimental. Yeah. I love the music type place. Yeah, um, I. W- there were a couple surprise shows. There always is. There's a there's a rapper named Toby and Wingwe mm. that I had not really heard of until he popped up on the lineup. Um, and he's unbelievable, kind of high concept rapper. Uh, he's got a bunch of hip, he's got a bunch of videos that are just his whole band wearing like pastel green, and then he's got like 13 or 14 choreographed dancers that really like do this really cool interpretive dance to everything. And they were all there at the show, so it was like this huge spectacle. Um, How uh, many have you been to now? So this was my ninth. Okay, and how many as uh, someone doing work, and how many as a, how many as a uh, just a gin pop? As gin pop, <laughs> yeah, we call it gin pop. That's that's right. Um, three years as a fan. Okay, and like first year was the reason I do all this. It was like really? a magical experience. Yeah. When uh, what year was it? Two thousand nine. Oh okay. no, two thousand. 
10. It was right after I graduated high school. Okay. Um, it was uh, Jay-Z, Stevie Wonder. I think, I mean, you were you were there, I think. I think so. Um, 2010? I think I was, yeah. I want to say it was one of the Dave Matthews I might have missed that. I might have missed that, actually. Was that, was that I, not I think first? that might have been a, a first, year but... that I missed. I think I think it was there in 2011. I, I skipped a bunch. Like, you I went to the first- Took some off. I went, yeah, I went to the first, like- nine and well no it wouldn't have been that many but like the first seven or eight in a row and then i skipped a couple and then i went to a bunch in a row again yeah. and i missed the kanye gay fish year or whatever yeah yeah i and and might, might have been one of the years i missed too um yeah yeah because that was paul mccartney too mm. so basically the only year i've missed since i started going was paul mccartney year and i resent myself to this day really um but i i did three years as a as a fan as a big old fan and then I've took one year off and then I've worked every year since. So did you become a fan of the festival or did you become a fan of the the scene in general, live music? What did you become like what what was it that that drew you in? Because you said the first one was the one that is the reason you do what you do now. Yeah. So what grabbed you? What got the I hooks mean, in you? All all of it. Like I I love I love the festival environment. Like even when it's ninety eight degrees and even if it's like I don't love all the artists playing at any given festival I'm at. Like, I love the idea of a music festival. Mm. It is it is one of the, my favorite feelings in the world because it is, at its worst, it's a collection of people usually at least enjoying music together. And at its best, it's like this communal presence, right? <laughs> yeah. It's like a whole thing. I mean, I tell people all the time, I've kind of almost got these like sales pitches for Bonnaroo, which is funny because I don't theoretically work. F- <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not paid by Bonnaroo per se, but right. um, I tell people like we build a village. We build... Um, anywhere from a 50 to a hundred thousand person village over two or three weeks and then they all show up and then it's a whole self-sustaining environment. And then you break down your tent, and you leave. It's fun. It's like the circus that way. Yeah. But it, it's also to your point about like this whole feeling of uh, togetherness and this vibe of like, we're all in this together. It seems like the worse the conditions get, the hotter it gets, the dustier it gets, yeah. the rainier it gets, the more people, <laughs> get together and help each other and support each other you get this this whole you know love vibe that that is reminiscent of what you hear about that happened in the 60s and all that a thousand percent but when it's fair weather it's like yeah we're just all kind of here enjoying ourselves and don't man don't bump into me while i'm drinking this beer and watching this band but it gets it gets bad it gets hot it gets you know and, and that's when like the vibe of we're all in this together and we're all just barely surviving yeah. No, I agree. I mean, <laughs> we, together. we put that to the test this year because we had two, two of the hotter days we've had, at least in a long time. It Dude, was near a hundred <clears throat> degrees. I was on a shoot. Uh, I was on a shoot the first couple days of Bonnaroo outdoors in Knoxville. And I was like, guys, could you imagine being at Bonnaroo right now? Because I was in middle Tennessee a couple days before and it was 10 degrees hotter than it was in East Tennessee. Yeah. And I was like, it's gotta be, I mean, it's 96 degrees here. It's gotta be a hundred in Manchester it right was. now. Was <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean it was. We uh we definitely I pull that out. Yeah, pull it over. I don't know. Loosen it. Pull yeah, it. That seems good. Yeah. Um <laughs> Yeah, I came down with a crew of about four or five people Tuesday morning. Okay. To help set up. Um that's usually the earliest we'll get there. And then uh we set up HQ, which was, you know, just for the marketing and social media and sponsor side, it was like five full workable towers and a full server like towers do you mean like, like workstations yeah we're gotcha. different workstations edit bays plus 
so much gear. Um, and that wasn't even to, to start with the live stream crew, which also had their own dedicated spaces. Are you guys in like semi trucks or trailers? Trailers. Or? Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's dependent on the year. This year was great to us because, um, my side of things was, was a three room, pretty big, really nice AC trailer, which nice. we have, we've been between there and like big tent before. Yeah. Um, going back to the hay bale sessions that we used to do. Yeah. Well, um, just tell people, you know, my computer doesn't like heat. So, you know, you got to put me yeah. in the AC. That's kind of, I mean, that used to not work and now it does as yeah. we've established a rapport. But um, we didn't set up our tent that night until like, as the sun was going down. And by the end of it, it was like, I was, it was a swimming pool. On the day you got there? Yeah. Tuesday night, just because yeah. we got so busy setting up HQ and there's so much logistics. Like I got to go pick up three golf carts and I got to go by the admin trailer and pick up the keys to our trailer. And right. like, I got to go out to this plaza and see what's going on for a sponsor. Yeah. I, I remember I went to, uh, in 2011, the year we found Bonnie. Yeah. Where's Bonnie? Where's the dog? With the trainers. Yeah. With, with Brian trainer and Liam. Uh, yeah. yeah Liam and Liam. Yeah. And, uh, Liam was doing his art installation and it was at pod four and I think we got there on Tuesday. Yeah. And being there before everybody else gets there, especially if you're there for like, at the time, I don't think they were opening till Thursday. So we were there mm-hmm. solid two days before anybody even came in. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of weird. It's like kinda being weird. at an empty circus. It's like everything feels smaller too. Everything's like, oh, yeah. that's the stage. It's just right over there. Yeah. It's not 60,000 exactly. people away. Do they still do the bobbleheads, the gigantic bobbleheads that they have at the back of which stage? No. The bobbleheads are sadly no more, but... Um, for any old Bonnaroo heads that love the bobbleheads, like I did, um, the entrance to the admin compound this year, they had one of them out okay. next to like the main trailer. Gotcha. So there's still relics, and there's actually a giant open air warehouse back in the backstage production area now, where the other four bobbleheads are living. Other four bobbleheads, like the <laughs> clock tower, um, all these like old relics of Bonnaroo past. That uh, some of the witch stage banner, like the red velvet curtains. Yeah. And stuff. It's mostly just chilling in this big warehouse. They thing, should so. do a museum. They kind of, so with Where in the Woods is the newest stage you've added. And it's, it's what's like, it called? Where in the Where Woods? Where in the Woods. Okay. So you got what stage, which stage, this tent, that tent, the other, how stage, uh, where, mm, who stage, and now Where in the Woods. So okay. they're really running out of like questions to name things. Right. Um, but it's, it's cool. They started it in 2019. It was basically a big, late night kind of rave station in at night and like a chill out hammock in the woods type area in the daytime. Yeah. You just hang out there all day long. You party all night. Some people then you do. just get in the hammock and yeah. sleep sleep for the rest of the Absolutely. Day. <laughs> well this year was even cooler because last year they had a nice like pop up standard stage. This year they built it was like a cloud, but it was a disco ball. So it was like this like f- giant structure way up in the middle of the trees and it had a slit in the middle for a DJ booth. And so DJs just performed up there all week in, in the like in, up like, above the elevated disco ball, like way above people. And then they rigged it out with like lasers and cryo cannons and all kinds of stuff. So how awesome is that? It was cool. It was really cool to see. And they got some pretty big DJs in there. They got Dylan Francis, who's like a pretty big name Vegas DJ kind of guy. It was a really amazing year to be back and reestablish Bonnaroo because the big thing is that especially over the last few years, festivals, I mean, they're hitting a bubble for sure. Like there's so many festivals that have popped up over the last four or five years before the pandemic. Um, I mean, a lot of them popped this year. There's some pretty big ones that I don't think are going to come back um, that announced like hiatuses, probably not going to be back, but Bonnaroo's Bonnaroo. It's like, it's one of the major capstone festivals in America. And so it was just cool to see like a lot of the regulars come out of the woodwork this year and really 
established that like this is home for us like there's a lot of people that will say it's their favorite place in the world and it i like this is kind of like nerdy demo talk i guess but i have this theory that um a lot of bonnaroo is sustained by word of mouth and passing year to year and that even from the jam band years like people went they came home they told their friends this is awesome we got to go and then we lost that for three years like we lost we basically lost the college age demo that takes up a lot of Bonnaroo that would go back to class. They'd go back to UT, to Vandy, to Belmont, to Alabama, to Ole Miss. To all and these would not places. shut up about Bonnaroo. Yes. For, and they would yeah. start putting their groups together. They're like 12, 13, 14, 15 people groups. Yeah. We just, we kind of lost all that. And that's a big, that was a big foundational part of the demo that would come out for Bonnaroo. Um, I think this year was great for reestablishing it because for everyone that was there, like it went off relatively without a hitch. There was a couple production things here and there, but nothing that wasn't, nothing that was out of the blue, nothing that was unnormal for a festival. Right. And it was just a really tremendous feeling, I guess, to be back. Um, I'm, I'm the ultimate homer, so maybe I have some rose colored well, glasses. I'm, I'm kind of the same way because it was my it was my exposure to live music, what live music could be, what festivals were, what festivals could be, what a good time you could yeah. have. When there was nobody telling you how you could dance or how you could mm-hmm. dress or how you could look or, but I have, <clears throat> I've yet to find that. I've been to lots of festivals. I've yet to find that same energy and that same magic. Any other festival, West Coast, East Coast, Midwest, anywhere, not uh, the same camping anywhere festival or, or not. I mean, it doesn't, it seems like they've somehow captured some vibe and some vortex in the middle of that 700 acre farm in Manchester, Tennessee, that is different and is very special and i don't know i have you felt that anywhere else have you been no able to- no and i work for a lot of festivals now like i right. we do 13 or 14 events a year at this rate um all festivals uh yeah like 13 or 14 different wow. uh that yeah that's about where we're at right now um i we weirdly bounced back pretty hard after the pandemic uh, we were probably doing nine, nine or ten um, mm. a year before that, and that was a slow buildup over time. But we'll we'll probably end up right around thirteen or fourteen. Um, Bonnaroo is your favorite, though. Bonnaroo is just the big one. Like I tell people, I tell people for a long time, Forecastle is one of the first ones we ever worked. Yeah, that's like one of my favorites because the the people that built that are incredible. Um, like the founder and and his wife are just really amazing. That was an AC thing though, wasn't it? Uh, no. Well, so it was basically a community thing. Really? Um, it started the Louisville with, in Louisville. Kentucky. Yeah. Community? It started with our buddy, Jake McKnight and, uh, his, his wife, Holly Whaler, who I think JK started the whole thing basically. And, and it was like, he got 12 of his buddies bands to come out and play for one day at a park, mm. um, as a fundraiser, and then the next year it was like 20 different bands that were local. And then the third year they added two stages and then somewhere around like the fifth or sixth year was when AC stepped in and basically offered their infrastructure to help bolster and like lift up yeah. everything they could. So you guys have something cool going here in Louisville. We can plus it yeah. both with production, uh, with, with production support, but also marketing support. Yeah. And let's just get together and 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 one plus one equals twelve this right. time. Booking, yeah. marketing, infrastructure. That was like what AC was able to bring. And I mean, a lot of that. There's a lot of people involved, but that was actually caps seeing regional, you know, local southern talented festivals and being yeah. like, how can we lift each other up? Yeah. Um, and it was a huge success. Um, and they brought us in. That's one of the only festivals that we've been doing since before I was 
at lock and key. Yeah. Um, that they started, I, I want to say in like 2013, mm. uh, or 14 and we've done every single one they've done, um, since. And so that I tell people forecast is probably my favorite because that is our OG. It's like our home. Uh, but there's something epic and hard to touch about Bonnaroo that nowhere else gets near. Yeah. I feel like it's almost like comparing indoor and outdoor venues. You can't really do apples to apples. I don't think you can do hotel festivals and camping festivals. You can't really compare them. They're different things. And Forecastle is not a camping festival. You're, you're, you stay in a hotel somewhere or Airbnb or whatever it is. And the music is great. You go to a site and then you go back. Yeah. There's, you know, not a lot of back and forth. Maybe there is if you're if if you're close enough. But it is a different it's it's almost a different discipline, um, so to speak. But those festivals are are great as well. And that's a whole other breed of music festival that is is super fun. And those happen in big cities usually. Yeah. The ones the only reason you can't camp there is because there's not enough room. Right. And so what it does is it brings uh, it it brings a lot more of population that's not <laughs> dirty hippies that have been sleeping in the dirt yeah. for four days. It's yeah. people that, you know, are 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 cleaned up and staying at it staying at a hotel and yeah. and they're gonna get drinks after this. That's more of the big ears. I mean, you're still gonna do that, Bonnaroo, but it's gonna be <laughs> filthy. Yeah, I'm it's, I'm excited. They're gonna be slapping the bag at their campsite. <laughs> that there's a there's production still locking keys for today from a slap the bag incident. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I uh, I'm excited to see I. Bonner is really our only big camping camping festival, but I haven't been to a lot of the big city festivals. Um, we do a lot of smaller niche like High Water, Moon River, and Chattanooga. Yeah, um, Big Ears obviously a big one for us. Um, but my my girlfriend just started working for C three Anna Ambrister. Shouts out, she's a fantastic designer. Um, she is working for Lollapalooza now and some of these other festivals. So cool. I'm going to start going and seeing some of these big yeah. cultural touchstone festivals. Which is cool because anytime you've got a city festival, it's it's as much a reflection of the identity of the city as it is about the mm. music festival itself. Yeah. Whereas Bonnaroo is like, it's, it's only a reflection place. of who's there. Hmm. It's like, it's only what you make of it, basically. Um, and that's not even true of all the camping festivals. Like Coachella sets a tone and a brand incredibly well on its own. But I wouldn't necessarily say, in my opinion, that the people of Coachella are what make Coachella. Like mm. Coachella is giant mega pop stars, giant art installations, the desert. Like that's the identity. But for Bonnaroo, it's like, it's the dirty hippies that get really gross in the fountain on yeah. Saturday. <laughs> Did you see the, uh, that, uh, video of the influencers getting on the bus at Coachella? And yeah. the yeah, guy yeah. was like, <laughs> yeah, if you're an influencer, show me your wristband. <laughs> it's, it's so cringy. It's, 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 it's so cringy. You know what? It's just not a, it's just not Bonner. It's not. It's, <laughs> it's, it's it not. Is, it is cringy. Yeah, yeah it is. Not. But it's, it's very yeah. like California plastic West coast, like same. Yeah. I lived there for a couple of years. Like, I think I get the vibe. Like it's <laughs> just, it, you know, it's, it's not, uh, but there's something disingenuous about it that I feel like Bonnaroo people are unguarded and vulnerable. Yeah. And so vulnerable. Lean into it. You're sometimes Big naked. Time. That's so and vulnerable. So- <laughs> You know, I've seen a lot of naked folks at Bonnaroo, men, of, men and women. A lot of naked folks this year. What were there? The hotter it gets, the more the tops come off. The naked-er they the get. The more the bottoms come off. A um, lot of, yeah, a lot of uh, gender gender equality nudity, which is great to oh, see. Oh, good. Equal opportunity nudity. <laughs> Absolutely. 100%. I love it. I, uh, I took my shirt off a couple of times myself. Did so. you? Yeah, that's kind of nudity. Kind of. 
Well, you don't have any pants on right now. So no, <laughs> no, no. I guess that is also Don- Donald Duck in it is kind of nudity too. <laughs> yeah, the old Winnie the Pooh look. <laughs> good on you. Classic. So was it the, was it the, you said that the Bonnaroo thing got you started, but uh, did it get you started in the film world too? Or uh, no, I mean. What got you started in that? No, not really. I, so there's plenty of a long convoluted story that I'd like to not tell all of just because I think it's not that interesting. <laughs> but the long and short of it is that I went to, I went to UT. Went, I grew up here in Knoxville, went to South Pole High School. Pretty much out of high school, I was like, I want to write about entertainment. I was like, I grew up with entertainment weeklies on my dad's, you know, table in the living room. You're reading room the, the trades. Time. You're reading variety. So like, that's cool. You yeah. can write, and it can be about like you know, not politics or war. That's great. And so I went to UT thinking I would write about music. Um, a couple steps later, I basically got wrapped into WTK because I was like, this is a great avenue to learn about music and do the whole like, you know, the 90s record store vibe. Right. I don't want to go into a frat. I want to be friends with the dorks that listen to the Smiths and, you know, new age rap music and stuff. Um, got really tangled in that. And I started going to music festivals basically. And, and I was a liaison for WTK as, you know, a media member. So you got um, credentialed to go to music festivals yeah. as, a, as a media representative. For a couple of them. And uh, Moogfest was a big one. That was one of my first ones I went Asheville? to. Yeah. So it turned into Mountain Oasis, but it was Moogfest when I started going. Um, I did, I did, I guess my first forecastle was probably 2013 or 14. For I, the station? Yeah. And I actually, I somewhere out there, it never got played, I don't think, but I interviewed um, Toro Imwa and Run the Jewels. Mm. And I was like a dough-faced 18, 19-year-old. In 2013, Run yeah, the Jewels was out there already? It, it was right before they became Run the Jewels. So it was gotcha. an LP set and Run the and, and Killer Mike was just on the road with them doing like a guest appearance. Ah. And it must have been the origin. I guess, I guess actually their first record had just come out. So it was whenever their first record came out. That's awesome. Um, it was cool. I I think I called Killer Mike like I wanted him to be my rap granddad, which is probably <laughs> offensive because I think he's younger than my dad. But um, anyhow, I at one of those Moog fests, I met a guy named Adam Kissick, who's an incredible photographer. Um, that shot a lot for NPR, and I started talking to him. I was like, Yeah, I don't know. I'm in school. I want to write. Um, and he's like, Well, why don't you want to shoot and write? And I was like, I don't. I was like, I had a camera with me. I was shooting in the photo pit just because Benny Smith was like, I don't know, take this T3i and see what you get. <laughs> and uh, he was like, yeah, all of us had dreams of like writing, but we realized that we also want to get paid something. So we're also going to go and shoot and, you know, do some video and do some photo at these festivals. And I was like, that's, you might be onto something there. <laughs> so pretty shortly after that, I got, I got looped into the lock and key fold through Justin um, and you know, Felio and Eli and Lauren at the time, um, I was an intern probably right when Lauren got hired and she was like the fourth employee, uh, or the, well, the second employee hired after Justin Cibriani, who's been on the show. Uh, and then I was the fifth. So recency bias, I guess, but I think of us as like the first five, and even though like pretty shortly after us, we kept hiring people and bringing people into the fold. Yeah, I know how that feels. You, I'm, I'm in that same, you same feel like kind it's of like, this was the baby. Yeah. 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 And then like. No, there's much younger people that have all, almost been there as long as I have. But um, <laughs> I don't know. That, Like I said, that's the, the short story is basically I got wrapped into Lock and Key. I interned with them. I did some paid gigs for them. I started going on festivals with them. But you thought that the did – you, did you do the Rolling Stone? Like did you want to be a Rolling Stone rider? Yeah, is that kind of the vibe? Sure. Like Almost Famous was like – that was the vibe. Okay. Yeah. And then it was like, oh, that was a once-in-a-lifetime thing for one person. Well, it's almost like there's <sighs> – technology has made it – 
to where it, technology and also uh, I I don't know people's people's want to be more efficient. It's like, well, if he's going to be there interviewing him, why not have a camera? Yeah. If he's going to have a camera, why not have a video camera? Yeah. If he's if, you know. It's like this podcast. We're like, hey, well, hey, you know, we might as well get some cameras and some lights in this place. We've right. already got them here. Well, then pretty quickly that turned into like, oh, he's at least formidably better with a camera than he is with a pen. So let's just keep him there. <laughs> um, well, it does give you a few different options. Like, oh, well, I might, might not be the best rider, but, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm kicking ass with these shots. Right yeah. Now. Yeah. And I mean, there, there's a little bit of like some cool... Um, there's some, there's some cool serendipity to the fact that like my very first Bonnaroo's I was going and I was pushing, I told people I was completely sober, all three of my fan Bonnaroo's. And um, I feel like you failed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's what, well, w- now working on the marketing staff, I would agree. But, um, <laughs> I went and I was just bright eyed, bushy tailed music fan yeah. in love with this big thing, but I would get into the pit. Like I remember specifically being in the pit at Arcade Fire. It was one of my favorite Bonnaroo shows yes. ever. And seeing all these photographers rush in. And I'm just thinking like, that's such a cool job. Like, yeah. that's so cool that they're at a point in their life where like, that's what they are being paid to do is like go shoot in the very front row of a festival. And I mean, flash forward to two weeks ago and I was the only shooter allowed to shoot the first three songs of the chicks. So it's like me in the pit by myself in front of this band that I love. And I'm, I'm the like, cool guy now. It's like, whoa, I'm, I'm the dude who's got it figured out. I've convinced someone I am something I am not. <laughs> this is great. But is there any imposter syndrome going on? Do you ever? Not a ton. No. I mean, Probably should be, but no, there's not a time. That's good. I tend to, I tend to live life with the blinders on, just kind of like pushing through. So there's not much like, ah, do I belong here? It's an industry that's filled with lots of people that are really good at quick edits and quick mm. turnarounds and storytelling and live event form. But everyone's got a different voice, and I know that. I know that my role and us as Lock and Key are pretty good at like telling that story efficiently and in a way that makes sense for the people we're telling it for so i feel pretty confident i guess in what we do um is is there is there work outside of the of the music festival live music world that excites you too oh so much yeah because if it was just live music i'd get i'd get burnt out i'm crazy adhd like clinical talk to my mom went through the ringer with me growing up and i think that it turned into pretty good creativity eventually Mm. but um so my role is creative director of festivals. That's my title. I tell people when I explain that, that my role at the company is probably somewhere between 70 to 80% festivals, maybe during the peak season. And the rest of it is, is you know, going on shoots for our education clients and for our health clients and, and directing. I direct a couple, I actually helped direct like the UT spot this year, which is really cool. Um, but it's fun to see your work on the jumbotron. It's always fun to see you work on jumbotron. <laughs> you know, couple, couple thirteen, no, not thirteen, couple eighteen, nineteen dollar beers in you, and you start seeing your work on the jumbotron. It's like I did that. Yeah. Well, um, and you know, a hundred thousand people are watching it at that point. Right. You know, you see yeah. your work other times. You're like, how many yeah. people are actually watching this? You're like, oh, every every eyeball in this house is glued on. Exactly. It right and I can I can point at the specific frame or like Bo Patton nailed holding the <laughs> opal over top of the talent right there. Sure. Um, but um. It's only about 40% of our workload at Lock and Key. Mm. We've got a lot of people that do a lot of different things really well. And when it's in the off season, which is like October to start of summer, I go back to more like 60% of my job is is making Lock and Key run elsewhere 
while the rest of the things are on the back burner. So it kind of fluctuates. Basically. Well, the rest of the thing, you mean the rest of the, the festival, festival kind of sleeps for a while. Yeah. I might make an edit or two here and there that yeah. is going out on a marketing push, but it's pretty cool that, uh, that, that director of festivals is a role somewhere. Yeah. That's yeah. a badass title. Well, and I mean, is that what your business card says on it? Yeah. Yeah. That's yes. what my email signature is. And, <laughs> um, Andy and Eli gave it to me basically two months later coronavirus enters the game so nice. i think that i kind of ruined it i think that they sounds like it sounds like, like it's, on, it's on you yeah so i'm sorry everybody <laughs> but um it was funny that getting a really cool promotion that i worked really hard for and like i people at lock and key and who've been around lock and key know that like i'm the guy that loves doing the festivals so it was exciting to get that role but then to sit and wait basically for a solid two years before we did a live event before was, your before your new title really came to fruition. Right, right. But nowadays it's cool because yeah, I'm working pretty one on one alongside with Felu and uh working directly with these marketing departments and being like, What do you need? How can we tell the story? And like how can we deliver the message in a way that basically convinces people to come to your festival? So how how much of this stuff is sponsored sponsor driven because I understand that ticket sales are a big part of what happens, but there's also sponsorship money that comes in. That's what pays for, I'm sure, programming and production and all these kinds of things. Yeah. Uh, brands that want to get their name out there to a new crowd. Mm -hmm. And that seems like it's a big, actually a, a very uh, substantial part of what the, what the gig is. It definitely is. Um, it, it definitely is. The sponsorship, especially over the last four or five years, of actual festivals, discluding the plague. Um, sponsors are a really good way to bring everything up, like bolster everything, let us really staff up, crew up, bring more people in to help. And we love working for our, our sponsors. Like they're always really good to us. Um, I would say like, especially as the person that's usually on the marketing side of it, like I'm not in it for the sponsors per se, but working with different sponsors bring so much more budget and so much more yeah. potential to what we can really make for the festival itself. Yeah. I mean, it's such a, I don't know. It's, it's, it's such a mutually beneficial thing. You have people that are gathering for a reason and why not have their eyeballs on something or be exposed to your product or your brand or whatever it is, something they didn't know about that they yeah. didn't know they needed. Yeah. Like, I don't feel like that's always a self-serving goal for a brand. Like, you no. see liquid death all over the place right now. Yeah. And they seem to have a mission. They seem to really be, uh, you know, you know, pushing somewhat of, of an effort forward to get rid of plastic and, and all those kinds of things. And, you know, what better of what better place to really immer or what inject your brand, immerse your brand in people that are going to, uh, spend time with your brand, hopefully for the, for the next in a really long time. It's yeah. a great opportunity for for brands to get themselves in front of a lot of people who are in a really, really good mood. Yes. At the time. Yes. And they get a lot of play out of that. Like Bacardi's a huge sponsor for Bonnaroo. Um, has been for a, for a hot minute. They've even got their own kind of section of the festival that theoretically is a sponsorship activation, but it's it's like on the map of the actual festival nowadays. Mm. Like it's called the Bacardi Oasis and it's like this huge sand pit with like a volleyball court and like its own bar. Um, and when we're making videos for Bacardi, they're really cool about being like, make one or two that are like 15 second teasers that show people enjoying what we make. But we make a lot that are zero Bacardi. Bacardi just uses it to like promote the festival. Lifestyle stuff. Yeah. Or, and yeah. so that's like just eyes on the festival. Um, yeah. And just 
guilty by association. Like, yes, Bacardi's sharing it. Yes, Bacardi's linked to it. Um, there might be an ad for Bacardi that plays before that video. Sure. But um, it's cool for us because it's just, just like free exposure to the festival. And then we just make hype videos, giant stage shots and crowds and ideally people having a great time and not too good of a time. <laughs> is it uh, is it hard to get fired up about the stuff that doesn't include screaming fans and festivals and all that when you go to make a when you go to make a some other type of content that doesn't necessarily have to do with uh with with, with people at a music festival that feel drink a beer ex- being excited about life i mean is it is it hard to to uh to get excited about a different kind of work specifically at the festivals no i mean, mean outside? outside of it no not for me because it's like i said it's it's variety so um well, I guess, like you said, you get burnout. You get burnout, and you get, especially like me and you know how this video industry works here, because um, we're kind of in a very similar sector where there's a lot of people in this town that do very specific things, or do six or seven specific things, but are usually hired to do those specific things. A lot of our companies are like, let's all band in together and see how we can form a lot of this. Sure, it's like let's throw a bunch of Swiss Army knives into yes. this hat and shake them all up and see which tools come out. Yeah, one hundred percent. And and that um, that leads to really nice variety that sharpens all of my skills on the festivals, like mm. my ability to direct or to cam up or to work on the pre pro creative on a thirty spot for somebody we're doing. That all adds up to me being a better overall storyteller. Right. Um, and I I think that I'm like an I want I want to say I'm almost like an emotion teller. Because working in live event, you're not telling a specific story. You're not telling a scripted story usually. Sometimes you are, and it's really cool when you can. But you're telling a lot of people in a field at a show having fun. You want them to feel something for little glimpses of a time. And I like doing that outside of the festival world. Like mm. when I'm working on pieces, I feel like I push really hard for really emotive stuff that maybe isn't always the most structural sound storylines. Um, and that can kind of get me in trouble sometimes because sometimes you need a really clear story. Does, does that make sense? Just really yeah, pushing. It, it does. But I, I've like all the directors that I look to that, like, I don't know, Ron Howard is a good mm-hmm. example. Like he's like, man, yeah, the lighting might not have been perfect in that take, but the emotion was right yeah. was perfect and that is the thing that really pushes and propels a story so it's the humanity behind every bit of the story sure so let's lean in on that yeah. let's let's make that the story and not the the perfectly lit one where they hit their mark and they were perfectly in focus yeah let's take the one with the most emotion which is great for me because i am i'm not the gear guy i'm not like the best dp by any means when i'm thrown in that role um but i will push for weird if I think it's going to get a good emotion, it's going to like do something different and make you feel something. And so that's a long way to say that. Like I love doing everything outside of the festivals because it's ways for me to approach the box differently and like think of ways to draw emotion out in a very rigid storytelling space mm. or even in a corporate space. Like even when it's something that's sure. not as sexy. Yeah. It keeps you from becoming a one trick pony or from fall. Like I, I always uh, say that with, like we have a huge freelance community mm-hmm. that we work with yeah. and I would love to have those people work with us every single day, 100%. but I am so happy that they go work with lock and key or they go to Atlanta and film a movie or they go to Nashville and film a TV show yeah. because they're bringing these, they're, they're getting out of this. They're getting out of this 
kind of homogenous way of storytelling that they know or this homogenous uh, way of of uh, of deploying the craft mm-hmm. and they're getting into different places where they're learning things and then they're bringing it back to our stuff yeah. and they're making it even and they're making it better and so i think that when you can diversify the type of work that you're doing it helps all of the work that that you do because you're able to bring different disciplines, different storytelling methods, yeah. uh, different ways of getting emotion on the table. Uh, you're, and, you're bringing all that back to all the different places that you have impact. Yeah. And in this community, it's not Atlanta. It's not New York. It's not LA. Like there's not, there's not 3000 of what we do. No, there's four. Right. There's like 10. a limited, there's like, yeah. it keeps proliferating as we go, but it's such a nice niche community. It's what I love about Knoxville is that, Especially in the last five years specifically, I feel like the freelance culture is fully broken out from TV freelance world who might do occasional things for video production companies into like fully homogenous, right? Like I feel like especially in the last five to 10 years, I guess, has been when things have really broken out and like freelancers are fully interchanged between people. Yeah. They're working in a lot of different spaces. Yeah. You like think? everyone's almost everyone in town right now is very like, yeah, let's bring this person in this person up. They can't work cause they're doing this already. Like, yeah. damn, but that's I, cool. I feel like everybody had their pockets for a long time and yes. like you had your trusted people and you knew you were going to be able to put them to work 40 days a year. Mm-hmm. And then that's who you hired when you had work. But now that there are um, some different kind of volume metrics that come into play with Companies like yours and companies like ours, mm-hmm. Pop Fizz, that do a lot of work. We're yeah. putting a lot of different freelancers to work. We're sharing them. Yeah. You know, they're working on your stuff. They're learning stuff. They're coming and bringing that to us when they when they work with us. There's, uh, they're no longer just kind of playing in one sandbox. They're playing in ten different sandboxes, right? And kind of bringing a little bit of sand to the other one when they go. Yeah, and I mean, Bonnery was the ultimate example of that this year. Really, there's I don't know what the numbers at right now. Like fifteen or sixteen of us are locking key. We brought 42 people. That math don't add up. It was a bunch of freelance people. And we were able to pull a bunch of our buddies um, that we know from town. And then even then, we were able to also, we needed more people for very very specific roles. So we were able to hit Nashville and Atlanta for some people that, friends of friends. And we had this monster crew of a friend network that was really cool. I mean, in my eyes, that's one of my favorite things about Bonner this year is that like, Knoxville sent an army out yeah. there of people to go cover it and bring that back and and take like what Sam did on Bonnaroo and yeah take it to something he's doing on a production for Pop Fizz yeah or you know for Big Slate or for Draft or for any of these like number of people that people just kind of float around in uh, um, it's just really exciting it, it's a it's a what's the rising tide lifts all ships or yeah. something I don't know something yeah. like that yeah so so how. How much with directing, like how much scripted stuff do you do? Um, I ended up honestly not doing a ton of scripted stuff. Um, it's different. It's a, it's a way different uh, discipline. It's way different. I, I really enjoy the ones that I do, but um, somehow a lot of it coincides with like right once festivals really whip up and they need me working on four or five different festivals at one time. Mm. That seems to be when we get our like scripted pieces really flowing in. Yeah. Um, I mean the the last I guess the last big scripted thing I worked on was was like the thirty spot for UT for this year, uh, and it was a combination. It was it was a montage piece, but it was definitely trying to show a lot of vignettes of what it means to be a volunteer, and um, that was that was right up my alley because that was 
emotion, right? You get three shots yeah. of a section. How do you sell something? And so it was really Was there cool. any sync sound? Was there anybody talking on the camera? There was a little Nat sound, but no, there wasn't any lines. Right, it was all voiceover, Yeah, right? yeah, it was so all it's, voiceover. So it's kind of the same it's kind like, of discipline a little bit, right? You're you're yeah. telling stories through pictures. Yes. I mean, yeah, in the simplest form. it's the Rather same than as, through dialogue. It's the same as the train rolling into the station and scaring everybody. It's like, yes, you're using <laughs> basic images to try to evoke an emotion. Um but that was that was fun. That was a complicated one. Just um, we, I got to ride on the the Haslam jet. I got to ride on like the private UT jet out to Memphis for a four hour shoot and fly back. And we got to work in the engineering building at UT, and we got to work with the rowing team down on the water. Um, and that was a fun challenge because that was that was like a controlled environment where you're trying to take the emotion of a a person reading a book and like a person walking to class and hanging out with their friends and turning that into something that's inspiring. Um, we do have, we've, we've had a couple of fun pieces the last few years that are heavily scripted, like very to a T. Yeah. Um, Doug Griffey mostly spearheaded a really, really fun piece for Aubrey's that they're going to be using for a long time. Oh, cool. Um, that was like a night before Christmas, like parody that was very, very pointed. I love Aubrey's and I love Randy Burleson's franchises. Uh, he's, he's killing it yeah I'm, I'm happy to have somebody like that who is uh i don't know it feels like it's it, it it's not a it's not a uh a bastardization of a concept like he's come up with a concept for a restaurant he's done a great job with it he has scaled it like crazy mm -hmm. and it's a brand yeah and then he's also done a lot of other things that have been very successful i love that yeah. man but the rattlesnake pasta is the same across the board it's so good i had rattlesnake pasta last week did you <laughs> i sure it, did it's the go-to you know but uh really, yeah pizza rockefeller's not bad no no it's not <laughs> that's also that's the other staple those potato chips those uh those, those little fried chips um <laughs> but they i mean yeah he's done a great job with with a couple different brands now too and and um keeping sunspot like a fresh interesting place and you remember when the car ran through the sunspot on the strip i used to do trivia at that sunspot and it very abruptly got canceled by that car running into the strip. With <laughs> was it on a wine night when it happened or was it on I a don't remember. Night? I want to say it was like a Tuesday night because we basically, we did Sunday nights at WTK. We did the music department meetings, which was yeah. where like 10 of us went and most of us would take home 20 CDs and we'd pick the two that were worth listening to. That's kind of mean, but <laughs> we'd rate what CDs were going to get into play yeah. and then we'd all go to trivia. And I remember like in the group text at the time, it was like, uh-oh, Trivia's off. Uh, Sunspot's permanently closed because <laughs> a car ran through it. And it's like, it's on the strip, so nothing's that wild. Like, when I was at UT, we had the whole bear in the fort the one night, and everybody, like, trying to find the bear. And <laughs> I watched, like, a, a snow day brawl. That was one of my favorite memories yeah. at UT. I watched these skater punks that lived underneath us throwing snowballs at a car. And uh, Isn't that why UT doesn't let school out for snow anymore? It should be. Yeah, my parents were in school when that when the death happened. When, so what, what happened? Like, so... <laughs> I had this I had this great spot on 16th place with my best friend, and we were just sitting and watch. It was like the best watching spot. It was like the crossroads of the fort. All kinds of hordes of fraternity brothers just like wandering down the street all the time, and like a bunch of weirdos. And like people would skate by all the time. And so it was snow day, and we were watching our skater buds throw snowballs at people. It was pretty fun. Somebody got pissed, and they uh, stopped their car in the middle of the road and came over. And he's like a huge dude, and he's like three wiry skaters, and it was a all out brawl, like throwing the guy on the car. Uh, somebody tried to take a bottle of fireball and like hit him with it. Oh no. Um, you know, it was kind of rowdy though. It was kind of, it was like a good college story. Really? <laughs> and, uh, the guy finally kind of ran off from the three skaters 
and got in his car and uh the skaters went and like kicked off his bumper <laughs> um, this was, so it was one guy versus three skaters one big buff dude one big buff dude three skaters and uh and they, the skaters kind of won kind of won kind of scrappy uh, and it was in the snow, so it was slippery. It was like three stooges. People were falling down left and right. But isn't that, it, I read that that's the reason that Tennessee, the University of Tennessee never shut down for snow Yeah, no. for, for years for the, uh, because it, when was it the seventies or eighties? I think it was in the eighties. I think it was when my parents were there and they that graduated. A, a truck driver 81. was driving down Cumberland Avenue and got hit with mm. snowballs and he got out of his truck. And then he got hit with more snowballs when he got out of his truck. Like his body got hit and yeah. he died. Yeah. And so they said. I heard a gun was involved in that too. I don't know. Oh, that really? Like, well, I've always, I've heard the reverse. I feel like it's kind of a urban legend at this point because I don't know what's real because I've heard that he got mad and had a gun and that a student uh, died. I've also, oh. I think the more likely thing is I heard a story about someone going down mattresses down 16th mm. and just hitting, a, getting hit by a car. And like they hit the bottom car and it wasn't stopping. Back in like 80. So we've got an urban legend situation where we're, yeah. we're pretty certain somebody died, but we have a lot of different stories about how it happened. It's in the annals of <laughs> UT history. But either way, they shut it down because they know that people get real randy out there whenever the snow starts <laughs> falling. So They did shut it down a couple of years ago, didn't they? They've had to at times. Yeah. I mean, when I was in school, which is like 2010 to 2015, um, extra year, what's up? I, uh, I, they should have done like two, two or three times, but that's on global warming. That's not on UT. So they couldn't, uh, they couldn't not shut it they down. They could not so shut bad. it down. Somebody would have gotten storms. hurt anyway. Yeah. So with, with direct, like, especially with directing stuff that's not scripted, I like, dude, I have a really hard time telling people what to do. Are you yeah. okay with it? In like, in like a, like out in the bout situation? If I were shooting at Bonnaroo yeah. and I were trying to get something out of somebody that they weren't already doing and I had to ask them to do something, mm. I would feel guilty about it. Man, I am the drunk whisperer. Really? I have developed a complete lack of humility or embarrassment from any kind of asking people to do anything. Really? Um, and I, it's almost gotten me in trouble once. I, I convinced a girl to go run around on me like run around the field at forecastle this year. And she ran so hard that like some clothing fell off and I felt terrible about it. And even then she was like, did you get the shot? And I was like, yeah, um, <laughs> cool. <laughs> so like I have lost my ability to be too embarrassed, I guess. Um, because I just know that if you're willing to go up to a crowd that are usually already pretty happy, they're usually jamming out. Even if it's just a, Hey, do you mind if I hang around for a second? They'll kind of ham it up. Mm. Um, and, it's it's just not that hard after you do it a little bit, I guess. I mean, I think you would really get used to it if you're out there and doing it a lot. Well, I've shot at Bristol Motor Speedway for Oof. well, that's so, different story. That's right? a different type of thing. it is. But <laughs> I was like, man, these people are having a really good time. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to like encroach on their party here. Like, I get too sensitive about you it. I guess that you got a camera in your hand. I know cinematic immunity. People love it. People love it. Yeah, People I guess, I guess I'm just like, oh, well, I, you know, I've got a camera. I'm just like, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think it's, I, I, it's, it's lost. I guess it's. Uh, I forget that it's novel for people and oh, that yeah. people ham it up. For you got to think people never see it, and it's like, oh, for what they think, you're the guy that's showing the jumbotron. Like, I'm gonna get on the jumbotron every time I come up to somebody. It's either what news station are you reading for, working for, or like, are you gonna put me on the jumbotron? Yeah, and both answers are no. But they still usually will like party down for me anyways. I uh I had a couple this year 
it's actually a fun story. It kind of restored a lot of any of my jadedness of the last little bit <laughs> because there's a couple that met at Bonnaroo five years ago. They were there on their fifth year anniversary. Like they literally started dating after meeting at Bonnaroo. Um, and I basically was able to use them in a, in a video that we're going to make where I show them getting up from their camp, going to one of the plazas, getting through the arch, going to the fountain, going to this stage, going to that stage. Um, and the marketing department gave me some good incentives to work with. So basically we were able to give them some repasses for next year if they, you know, played ball and let us meet up a couple different times. That's awesome. Which was great. And th that alone, they were so excited. They're like, wow, this is a special place to us is where we met. It's already really cool that you just found us, which was completely random. Um, but we were shooting with them all day. And then I was like, all right, um, is there any show you really want to see? And this guy's like, yeah, I love all time low. I was like, cool, let's go check it out. And I was able to like take them backstage and then I was like, we can probably just watch the song up here. And like we watched, as we walked up, the band ran out in front of us onto stage. And I got to watch this guy that just grew up loving All Time Low get to watch the very first song from backstage. At and the place that means more to him than yeah, anywhere else. <laughs> just rocking out. And then all that was to lead to say that later that night, he was really excited about Porter Robinson. And um, I needed to set up a shot of them at this Porter Robinson show to finish out this piece. And uh, they were trying to get front row, but it's pretty crowded. And I was like, all right, watch this. And I just held my camera up right above my head. It's like, excuse me, excuse me, camera coming through. Excuse me. And I walked him up to like the second row and I was like, all right, stay here. I was like, all right, thanks. Excuse me. <laughs> Walk I came back right out. Around. I didn't shoot a shot. I just, people were like, camera. Oh yeah. And they like part the Red Seas. Um, and those people, those, that couple was right there, basically the front row. <laughs> so all that's to say, you've got a camera. People are pretty willing to play ball generally. Have you had any moments that, uh, where, where, I'm sure you want to do a good job as a human being doing a job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, generally. Yeah. Have you had any moments where you're like, man, I screwed up? Or any moments oh, where man. it's like, I feel bad about that thing I did? Yeah. Like three today. Really? Um, I mean, just all over the place. Does I, it I beat just, you up though? No, if things roll out pretty quick. I mean- okay. There's, there were no, there's not really been any huge screw ups in the field, especially at like a festival or a show or anything. Um, there's been the occasional like, oh, that card wasn't actually dumped. Yeah. It's formatted now. Right. Um, oh, you lost footage? Yeah. It's like, you know, who would have thought <gasps> over the 67 cards that we dumped at Bonnery this year that one of them, one of them would have gone missing or something. But um, I, yes, there's little things all the time. It's usually with timing. It's usually with like, we really need you to get something from this set that's coming mm. down from marketing team. And like, I'm on the other side of the festival and we didn't coordinate properly to get somebody there. Um, but it, it mostly goes away. I mean, well, it's, you strike me as such a buttoned up dude. I just wonder if there's anything that just eats you up because if I screw something up, I am I beat myself up over it for so long. Oh yeah. No, that's so definitely, bad. yeah, I'm, but I feel like you're buttoned up to where you kind of just either don't have those moments or you're cool enough to just let them roll off your back. Well, so I've told people for years that like the way that my head works is kind of like it's playing Jimmy Buffett's cheeseburger in paradise 24 seven. It's just like, keep, keep those blinders on. Like I told you about, keep moving forward and let stuff roll off you. And sometimes to a big fault, like sometimes that's my problem is I really? don't let things get to me too much, I guess. Um, that can be a problem if people, if people don't, if people see that you screwed up and don't see you taking accountability yeah. for it, then they see it as not 
caring. Yeah. That and you I don't care. When I screw up, I tend to go robot brain and like I, I get really technical about fixing it. But it's like, I don't think about the fact that I messed up too much. I just think like, all right, time to pivot, time to fix it. Um, and so, yeah, that eats me up whenever I do little things that trip me up like that. But for the most part, I guess you're right. It doesn't kill me, especially because so much of my job is so frenetic and so unpredictable. Um, there's so many little things that don't happen because you're improv out there. Yeah. Um, are there any festivals that you are scared to shoot or that? Yeah. Gathering of the Juggalos seems like a scary one, <laughs> I think but you I would do it. it. I would do it if I got offered. Um, <laughs> I think that's you the do big it. one. I mean, I'm a little <laughs> you thought about this. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. Uh, otherwise not really. I mean, there's some EDM fests that are like what we do. We can do EDM. Like we can do a ragey mosh pit, like front row headbangers type of thing, but we haven't, that's not where we thrive because I think that where we've really set a niche for ourselves in the market is that we're really good at selling the branding and the identity Mm. of a specific festival. Like I'm really proud of the work we've done with like Bristol Rhythm and Roots. Yeah. And with Big Ears and with High Water down in Charleston, where we, I think everything we put out this year screamed Charleston, um, screamed water and seagulls and seafood. Um, what do you mean everything you put out? When any, I, my job, my role in my eyes as creative director is trying to refine and hone in on a specific festival's brand and voice and identity and make sure that you can feel that through everything we do. And so you're saying the one you did in Charleston, you feel like you nailed it. I've, so we had, I mean, just the 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 style of it was very like, classical, graceful. Um, I think that we got a lot of pastel colors. Like we go specifically into the color correction being like very pastel, rich, grainy. A little seersucker to the Yeah, uh, to like the so much so, yeah. If, <laughs> if I see a man in a seersucker suit, I'm putting him in like 12 shots. Yeah. Um, whereas Bonnaroo is like a haziness. It's a little bit crisper. It's a little bit more wavy because people are a little delirious. Um, Big Ears is very clean and modern and like using negative space to like explore the aesthetic of sound and things like that. So what about the glasses? What about big, big ears and the glasses? We've talked about doing some social pieces that are like the glasses of big ears. Cause there's a good display. Warby Parker would be popping off if they were a sponsor of big ears. They need to be a sponsor of big ears because I've never seen so many different styles of glasses that did not belong on that person's face, (laughs) but they were, but they were right for some reason. Yeah. I I like the thin ones nowadays. You see like the really thin, Mm -hmm. like the nineties Keanu Reeves vibe. Sure. That you see going around. Yeah. But everybody wears them at big ears, whether they need them or not. Yeah. 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 I just walking around with 3D glasses trying to look like I fit in. I'm glad I'm not the only person who has uh who's noticed that. Oh no. Big ears. That's we've, thing. we've all noticed. And we adore big ears, but yeah, we know we know the demo really well because we need to. Because yeah. we need to know like how we're making videos and who we're targeting. Um That's interesting to think of like having to tap into the different culture of every single festival that you see because like they're so different based on, you know, not just the programming of the festival, but also geographical mm-hmm. tendencies or, or, or the, the geographical traits of each one. There's a lot of different things that go into it. And for you to be, then so kind of tap into the vibe of what it is and kind of distill it down to a look yeah. or a vibe or a feel, it sounds fun as hell. It man. is super fun. <laughs> like it's fun to be in charge of trying to direct that voice. And I mean, like I said, High Water, I felt really great about everything we did. There was a lot of uh, like film leader countdowns and burns and stuff. And then literally six five days later we drove down to Atlanta for Shaky Knees this year. First year we were at Shaky Knees and that's like a, 
that's like a high school rock festival is kind of what we branded it as. So like a lot of doodles and like a lot of like contrasty black and white and red and like Joan Jett kind of rocker, mm. um, punk aesthetic, but not full punk, just kind of like jean jacket ripped. A little dress up punk. Yeah, a little bit. And so like I, I was really proud of like juxtaposing graceful seersucker pastels with dark, grungy, literally doodly. We had this incredible... She's an intern with us named Chloe that did all these really amazing doodles that looked like a high school, like locker room kind of thing. Uh, and we take, I mean, that that's the little stuff that we don't talk about as much, but that really makes everything pop. Mm. It's the attention to like nuance and mm-hmm. detail that, that makes it work. Sound design, really big in the little things that we do. If we're making a 15 second reel, like there's a bunch of sound design that goes into it that really makes it immersive. And it's, it's a process that we built up over the years, but... What what are some festivals out there that you have noticed that seem to be maybe small, but they feel bigger or they feel mm-hmm. like they've gotten, they, they feel like they're making a little splash, yeah. but nobody really knows about them? I mean, Moon River's a big one. Chattanooga, it, it's pretty quickly sold out of its entire allotment immediately every year. Um, just kind of a sleeper? A little bit, yeah. yeah. And it's because you can only fit so many people in there. Uh, it's, it's That's not Coolidge the Drew Holcomb one, is mm-hmm. it? It yeah. is? Okay. Um, Drew is amazing. Like his team is so really, really great to work with. Um, him and his wife are so sweet and very hands-on with that festival. And like literally the day before Drew's going around screwing up signs and doing like production stuff. Um, but that one is one that can only fit so many people inside of it. So it's never huge, but it feels like it's, it feels like if they added two more days to it, like they would still sell it out. Like it's this huge thing. And it has a vibe. It has a feel. It has, yeah, it's got a great aesthetic. It's got it's this, great. um, it's got this very wholesome family vibe to the whole thing. Um, Ellie's designed a bunch of like children's books, and Drew and Ellie have done a lot of work with their kids. Like, they're very vocal about the music they make about their kids. And, um, the very first Moon River, actually, Ellie was pregnant and gave birth to one of their sons, like six days after performing on stage. Um, mm. and so I got to like kind of dedicate the recap to river i believe is the name of her son that was born and then if you listen to their new ep there's a song on it called hey river that's literally about that that boy so it's like there's a lot of family vibe to that festival um i mean there's a lot there's a lot that we don't work obviously that i've kept tabs on riot fest is is like riot fest nails its vibe what's that one riot fest up in chicago it's kind of a blend of like classic think like thin lizzie kind of classic rock, like a little bit, uh, but also like Black Flag. And um, I think they got My Chemical Romance this year, fun. which is starting to be nostalgic rock of like yeah. the new age. Um, it's just a good rock festival. And I really respect a festival that knows how to do rock and roll really well because it's really hard because we did Wexit 111. And how was that? It was a it was a blast, but it was a roller coaster. And Was it, it sad? Be honest. Was it I mean, sad at all? <laughs> It wasn't sad. It was just like, I always feel like weird. Those, I, I feel like anybody that that's going on foreigner tour, mm-hmm. it, you know, that there's just a little bit of desperation yes. to it. Yeah, there's like a there's like a Diet Mountain Dunes to it that you can't shake. Uh, but um, I don't know. I uh, I loved that festival, and we cut what I think is a super fun recap, like one of our most fun energetic recaps. We got permission by Guns N' Roses to use "Welcome to the Jungle." How'd you do that? Just a Asking. couple email chains. And like I was, that was a weird one. Cause during the show, they, they had to work for three days straight to get me 
the ability to shoot 30 seconds of Guns N' Roses. Wow. And their tour manager literally waited with me backstage during the first song. And he said, on Welcome to the Jungle, um, as soon as Slash starts really noodling on the guitar, you can film for 30 seconds. And then before the hit really hits, you're done. And he literally stood behind me with his hand on my shoulder. And he said, when I take this off, you can shoot. Took it off for 30 seconds on down and he was like okay cool it's like there's no way in hell they're gonna let us use welcome to the jungle for the recap and then like three emails later it's like yeah that's cool um, what the hell so we well, got the what, why the why the hard uh why, why axel, the hard time axel axel yeah. axel and then once he, yeah, yeah axel, once he's gone and out of the loop then axel, axel doesn't look great these days ah um, i gotcha so so you know you can film the hands Right. Yeah. <laughs> we filmed Slash. Yeah, you filmed uh, Slash. Slash. Slash was great. Yeah. Um, but we, we went through this whole trouble and like cut this whole recap and did a lot of notes back and forth. Um, and then we were like, uh, let's wait for a pre-sale. Let's wait for an on-sale to put it out. Exit 111's done. <laughs> so there's been like 30 people that have seen that recap. And I've been like... So the, the festival became defunct. It, it was not a very viable... Prospect was it a, a camping festival? festival? It was game. It was at Bonnaroo. So it yeah, was the only yeah, festival that's ever been at Bonnaroo. Great stage park. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's- Wait, Ichiku Park? Well, Ichiku. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was listening to the Ashley episode and I, him talking, him dropping that. I didn't know about that. Yeah. That's like the precursor. Somebody, I, I had no idea. I yeah. didn't know. I I don't know why I didn't know about it. I mean, there's not, there's, there's not a huge Wikipedia article about it because it was so small, but yeah. Um, there's a lot of fun Bonnaroo history behind. Well, if you could actually talk in for like hours, you could find out so many things. But yeah, um, yeah, I, I I felt bad having him over here for an hour. You know, I, yeah. I, I would have talked. I could have talked to him for a month. Yeah, that's what meetings about big ears end up being us talking about some random music tangent that really? I have to be like, oh, I should talk about work so I don't take up all your time. Yeah, yeah, because you kind of feel like you're in the midst of, uh, or, or or you're in the same room as greatness, right? Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I, I definitely idolized him growing up a little bit and. It's funny because my parents used to run around in a little bit similar circle and I was apparently like the only kid at the 35-year-old parties mm. for a minute. And he was at a couple of those and like met my parents there. And so now it's funny having business meetings with him. But even in high school, before I wanted to write for Entertainment Weekly, like I idolized AC Entertainment for Sundown the City because that was like the coolest thing in town, right? And um, I was like, I really love to work for AC Entertainment when I'm in college. And I applied for an internship and I didn't get it. I think I wore a suit. And everybody was wearing like what I'm wearing now. I was like, cool. <laughs> What's up with this asshole? I, yeah, right. And I didn't get it, but I, um, I just remember idolizing. Like that seems like such a cool company to work for. And now it's you know something very different post pandemic. It's it's scaled down a little bit from what they were at full force, but sure. it was cool to be able to be working with them on so many things. And I've got, I mean, twenty twenty five people that worked there that are dear, dear friends of mine still. And some of them that are still working in the industry, in the music industry, and some that are doing something completely different. Sundown in the city and all the AC entertainment, like nineties, late nineties, early 2000 stuff. Like I, that to me was the precursor for Bonnaroo for me that, that kind of, yeah. Kind of laid the groundwork for me to lose my mind at the sure. first Bonnaroo, you know, it was outdoor concert. It was like feeling like the city's coming together for something. Right. I mean, Apparently it was awful for the community that, that the, you know, the <laughs> yeah. market square businesses didn't like it because first off they weren't built up. They yeah. weren't like, they weren't ready to take on, you know, 10,000 people standing yeah. in market square and well, trying to use their bathroom for specifically free. 200 drunk, 12 year olds, 13 year olds. Yeah, exactly. I, like, I get it. Yeah. I was 13 when I was drunk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, that's kind of what it was. That always shocked me. I was always pretty blown away by that. I mean, I, I can think it would do it much now. better now. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, some of those old ones, like Bela Fleck, I remember. Yeah. I remember just hearing, I didn't go to that one. I remember hearing that the line, like the crowds were pushed to the courthouse. And my dad took me to Los Lonely Boys when I was probably in third or fourth grade. Mm. And I remember that one was cool. It was a little earlier, but I'll never forgive him because in that same season, he went out to just go see Maroon 5 and My Morning Jacket. Your dad? Did? Yeah. My dad's the my dad's got the coolest music taste in me by in Knoxville. It's well, yeah. Are me and specific. your dad the same age? <laughs> no, <laughs> because that's the stuff I was. Listening I've got an to. older dad. No, he just he uh, he. My dad is an interesting time. He's actually a small time radio. He's got small time radio fame from this uh, podcast radio show called The Best Show on WFMU. It's from a comedian writer in New York, and my dad's been calling in for years. And long story short, through that. Wait, your dad is Bud Kelso for like, or like the, the longtime listener. Dave, for... Dave from Knoxville. That's really? It. And that's why I'm Andy from Knoxville and a couple of things because I called into that show every once in a while. But it, I talked to Zach Galifianakis on that show. He's met Pat Oswalt, Amy Mann, Ted Leo, and like all these weird people. So y- your dad has has gotten cross country fame from being a radio show call in. Yeah, he went up. He went up to be on an episode of it in East Orange, New Jersey once, and. He found out that he had to push it a week from when he was going to do it. If he'd been there the week before, he would have been on the show with Paul Rudd. How, how did he find this show? Uh, it was just kind of a very niche comedy thing from the early 2000s. That like, he got inter- into. I guess, internet radio or no? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what it was WFMU, which is one of the most famous like indie alternative radio stations in the country. Yeah. Um, he got in ground floor. I don't know. I'm always pissed off because he's got like 10 times as many Twitter followers as I do. Ah, ah. He's got, I well, actually, one time I was working big years as a runner. I, I was a hospitality runner for a couple of years for like Tennessee theater. And I was driving around Daniel Lopatin, who goes by one of tricks point. Never. Um, he did the, he did all of the music for like um, uncut gems mm. and he's the weekend's new personal, like music guide, music advisor. Um, so he's got this weird big time stuff, but I'm just driving him around for big years. And I mentioned that and he's like, wait, your dad is a F- WFMU fan from here. I was like, yeah. It's like Dave from Knoxville. And I was like, yes, <laughs> what? And so I like, he made me way down the rain with him outside the Bijou. So my dad could come and meet him. He wanted to meet your dad. Yeah. And now I like watched him on the Super Bowl like two years ago. I was like, what? <laughs> so my dad's got all these weird connections that he, yeah, maybe, maybe if you want to talk to a, calculus and statistics professor from Pellissippi on the show sometime he's your he's your guy i mean he sounds like he's a lot more famous than we'll ever be yeah for sure <laughs> he makes a spotify playlist every single day that's like a mathematical rundown of a different artist you're kidding me he's got he's going on like three thousand. um he's an interesting guy dude that's... happy father's day dad we went and saw dr strange last night did you <laughs> we did i love it dude have we missed anything this is this is awesome. I'm so glad to finally oh, like get to sit down and yeah, thanks for having me, man. And it's chat really with you. It's cool. been a long time coming. You've got a who's who list of great Knoxvillians on this show, so I'm glad to. And turn now it's shit. complete. <laughs> uh, now it's something, but. dude. Thank you so much for doing it, and thanks for being here. And, and you never know, maybe we could do it again sometime. Anytime, man. Uh, right. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. You got it. Take care. Yeah. Okay, how'd we do? Thank you guys for being here. Uh, Hit us up next week. We'll be around, all right? Take care of each other. Take care of yourselves. Pitchwire. You got a new one for us? 